Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Mars Attacks, which was based on the cult trading card series of the same name. The film features an ensemble cast consisting of Jack Nicholson in a dual role, Glenn Close, Annette Benning, Pierce Brosnan, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael J. Fox, Rod Steiger, Tom Jones, Luke Haas, Pam Greer, Natalie Portman, Jim Brown, Lisa Marie Smith, and Sylvia Sidney. Ridiculous, I know, but there's a lot of people in this movie. This is your spoiler warning. We will be talking spoilers. I just wanted to get that out there before we even start the podcast proper because the A-list talent in this film is insane. Essentially yeah, a movie yeah. taking off B-movies from the 50s, 60s, but with an A-list cast. Yeah, uh, and you didn't even mention Christina Applegate and Jack Black, but I was actually looking at this earlier today whilst prepping my notes there were three Oscar winners on this cast and wow. six Oscar nominees. <laughs> That's how big an ensemble this is. And it's that big. It was, I, really, I really thought I'd captured everybody, but you're right. <laughs> I forgot those two. Yeah. Uh, and the other big things about this, it was supposed to be bigger, much bigger, but the studio wasn't willing to put the money in. They were also going to have Warren Beatty, um, uh, Michael Keaton, uh, a lot of other huge names. 37 characters got cut from the original script to get it down to yeah, the budget yeah. <laughs> that the, co- the company was willing to pay for. I mean, it was supposed to be 60. Yeah. Yeah, they had to cut it all the way down. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much going on. I mean, first of all, I'm really happy that we're, we're actually covering this movie. It's one that I watched at the cinema. I didn't know anything about Mars Attacks until then, I didn't know it was based on a trading card game. Any of that. I just saw the trailer. New Tim Burton movie. Looks like a lot of fun. Classic aliens. And, and <laughs> this movie is a lot. In, in a good way. You mentioned Michael Keaton. What I read about him, he was, if cast, he was going to be playing Art Land. Yeah, who was played by Jack Nicholson, who also yeah. played President James Dale, who was going to be played by Warren Beatty. Oh well, there you go. So there's always, there's always going to be actors that were in the movie, not in the movie. Uh, Nicholson is great as a president, but yeah, for this rewatch, it had been so long since I'd watched Mars Attacks, I completely forgot he was playing dual roles, and I'm watching. I'm thinking, who is that? I'm going to be honest. I looked it up. I'm like, oh, of course. Of course, you're Johnny Nicholson. And as soon as you know, you know. Like, he's, yeah. I'm thinking, who is, who is this guy? But it's, yeah, Nicholson. Yeah, I'm Brilliant. lucky. I'd, uh, I, I'd written up my notes first. So I'm like, oh, that's right. He is playing two people. Because when I first saw it at the cinema as well, I was like, does the president have a twin brother? What's going on? Who's this guy? Uh, that's all based on... Uh, an actual famous, or, or, may, or at least maybe not famous, but someone Tim Burton was a little like enamored with. Real life 
casino owner from Vegas. In fact, during the demolition scene in Vegas, his, when his casino drops, that's actual live footage of that casino being knocked down. Ah, right. That's, yeah, if that will happen the year before. So the footage was fresh and brand new and it was, and they had recorded it and Tim Burton's like, oh, I can use this. They did miniatures for a lot of the other like landmark devastations and stuff, um, which, you know, I still think to this day, like, so, like stand up really great. They stand up better than the CGI on the alien ships and stuff do. But um, yeah, it's, that's just a, like a, one of those weird little tidbits I know I learned today. I'm like, huh. When I was watching that, I could have sworn that was a miniature. <laughs> <laughs> and it looked great. And now we know, now we know why. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk about bef- like before the movie. So we, we know this movie and I'm, I'm sure we know it well, especially if both of us watched it at the cinema when it first came out in 97, I found. The movie actually came out in 96, but that was Christmas in the US. So we got it January in the UK. And I think here in Australia, you'd have got it at the same time or around about the same time. But either way, it was released in, in 97. But before yeah. Tim Burton, Alex Cox was looking to get it made. Was looking to get it made. And he'd been trying since the 80s. Cox is known for Repo Man, and which was the Emilio Estevez movie, and Sid and Nancy. Yeah. So he's oh, done yeah. a fair few indie movies. He was trying to get Beer and Loathing in Las Vegas made, and he was attached to that for a while, and then Terry uh, Gilliam took over. So this was a guy that had been trying to get Mars Attacks off the ground, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't happening. It wasn't until Tim Burton came on board with... Jonathan Gems, who was the main screenwriter, um, it turned in like a ridiculous amount of drafts. And apparently Burton did contribute, although didn't want his name attached. Like he didn't want to take credit for it. Uh, multiple um, rewrites. Warner Brothers commissioned rewrites from Gems, uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Karazuski in an attempt to lower the budget to 60 million. They thought this movie was getting too expensive for what it was. But the final production budget ended up coming out at around 80 million. But then Warner Brothers went on and spent an additional 20 million. So we're talking about a 100 million movie. Yeah. For the budget. Which is, yeah. And it's funny because the sequences Tim Burton wanted to do, well, he, for the special effects, he wanted to do stop motion to capture the Harry Housen movies from when he was young of like uh, clash of the Titans and that kind of stuff. Uh, and they're like, no, 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 that's going to take way too much time. We all know the story of a nightmare before Christmas and the seven years of development that, that was, went through yes. that on. That was before this, wasn't it? That was early nineties. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so it's not like the studio wasn't aware that like, dude, you took like seven years to make that movie. We're not waiting that kind of length of time for you to do that on these aliens. We don't have that kind of money to leave on a shelf. So they got ILM to do computer animation for the aliens, which at the time was revolutionary. And it still holds up quite well. I watched it in quite high definition. 
And the only thing I could really pick on the aliens specifically is they look slightly lower resolution than everything else. Ah, okay. So there's an all there's a all not not a blurring effect, but it's not they weren't quite as crisp as the rest of the stuff. Not to the point where they stood out separate from the scenery and the rest of the sets, but just enough that I'm like, oh, looks a little off. Um, but there was supposed to be a big sequence of them destroying major landmarks like New York and things in Russia and Thailand and other things. Uh, and they're like, no, 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 no. We can't do these doing things like this. We'll get into trouble plus the expense. And what came out in 1996, an alien movie where landmarks got destroyed? Independence Day. Of course, yeah. Crushed this movie in terms of Oscar nominations and that kind of stuff because that was a huge hit. And this was a cult hit it you know it it didn't lose money but it didn't make a lot in fact i think i was reading it made like a couple of million dollars well uh, remember on the initial yeah. box office well i said didn't um, i that essentially including marketing it put the budget of this movie up to 100 million yeah box office totals for this movie 101 million so you're right. This yeah. movie, it found its audience. It became yeah. a cult movie and a movie that I love. Like This is such a fun movie, but it's not Independence Day. It's, a very, it's not supposed to be. It's, it's a different thing altogether. But if you're yeah. comparing movies with aliens, then people obviously compared Mars Attacks to, to Independence Day. So I just say Independence Day 96. For me, this movie, I see it as being a 97 movie. It's when we got it. Well, yeah. you're right. It is. It is a movie that came out in '96. It did get nominated for a couple of awards, not Oscars, but it got nominated for uh, best dramatic presentation at the Hugo Awards, and it earned multiple nominations at the Saturn Awards. But unfortunately, no wins there. But it was getting yeah. some recognition, and it should as well because. Tim Burton, if you've ever watched Ed Wood, he definitely has a strong affinity. I mean, everyone knows from his Batman stuff and Nightmare Before Christmas and his general aesthetic. He has a, a very strong goth um, leaning in terms of his, the aesthetic he goes for. But he's also uh, quite well known for, for really loving that 50s, 60s like B-movie um, drive-in horror or space flick feel i mean he did the edward film with johnny depp which is phenomenal and the edward was a real 50s 60s b movie director and a lot of the elements for mars attacks he imported in and i think the reason why this is so strong is it was his idea to lean more into the the the, the images of the cards and when you look at certain scenes watching it now knowing it was taken from the trading cards of the 60s there are certain scenes like when the aliens step back to reveal what they were doing on uh, sarah jessica parker's character and stitching the the chihuahua head to her body i'm like nope there's one of your trading cards right there boom and the cow's running on fire in the opening boom there's a shot and uh and the you know the uh the 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 red skeletons as they get zapped with their ray guns like i'm like boom trading card trading card like once i knew i could see like oh he's he's leaning heavily in fact 
they were going to, they had initially designed the aliens to look different. And he's like, no, no, let's do the trading card aliens. They're timeless. Yeah, why, would that you need, would have been, why would you need to change them? That would have been a massive misstep, misstep if they didn't use the design for the trading cards because it's perfect. It's what we get, what we get in the movie. You mentioned the, the skeletons there because I did read at one point they were looking at the violence being a lot more graphic, people being decapitated. So a lot more violent than what we get in the movie. But again, me always taking this as a 97 movie. In the US, it was 96, a Christmas time, December. The reason why the skeletons are either green or red is the time with Christmas. Yeah, of course. I it never is. knew that. that I so found that out today. I've been watching this film since 97, and I found that out today. There's actually a reason. So I remember wondering. Why are some red and some green? Is it to do with the the blaster? That's what I always took it as. The yeah, same. music. But visually, it's to tie in with Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... It's, oh, but you thing, know, it's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Another thing, on the trading cards, though. So I mentioned you got the main, main guy, the main person that gets screenwriter credit, uh, Jonathan Gems. He wrote his screenplay. And then do you know what he did? He turned one of the cards around and saw that not so on the front of the card, it's a picture. But on the other side, it's telling a story. And when you get the cards and you've got them in order, it's telling a story, like a through line. Oh, and he yeah. didn't realise. So he'd wrote his own original movie. So anyway, so what a time to find out. You'd have thought Tim had have told him, oh, by the way, Turn the card over. Yeah, there's I'm actually really, a whole story. Yeah, it's it's all there, but I'm really glad that they kept the design from from the cards because you, you don't see this design anywhere else. It's so unique to to Mars Attacks, and we still get it. You know, we've only had this one movie, but I think Dynamite have the the license at the moment, and there's yeah. they're still putting out. Mars Attacks comics and they're doing crossovers as well like I've not read it but I found when I was doing research for this they did a crossover with Ghostbusters I think it yeah. was just one issue they're currently doing like a crossover with um, John Carter Warlord of Mars Red yeah. Sonja so pretty much all the other um, the properties that Dynamite have the license to are currently crossing over with Mars Attacks but still like those trading cards in the 50s this movie and the comics, the one thing that always stays the same, the design of the aliens. Yeah, and um and they look so great even today. Like I I love the I love the uh the, the capes that they wear which have like a like a sequin like glittery shine to them, which is very again very like sixties and seventies in terms of uh like the space aesthetic. Uh, I like the fact that they they're horny. It's so strange. It's such <laughs> yeah. a weird quirk. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, there's a line delivered by Pierce Brosnan, like, they don't have any genitals of any kind. Um, so why are they horny? <laughs> you can't determine male or female. What's, what are they getting off on? Like, what, what is the concept that is turning them on? Um, and that's another, like, Pierce Brosnan's professor character, uh, he's so stereotypically 
a 60s B movie, like scientist of like, hmm, it indicates that he's got the pipe and everything. And yep. he's, he's almost uh, not Dr. Bencher. He's um, the professor from Powerpuff Girls. Oh, yeah. Him. <laughs> like uh, you know, like which I gotta imagine they, that that was their influence on Powerpuff Girls, but it's it's so great. All of the, the the cheesy dialogue, um, all of the the performances, uh, you know, they like really perfectly captured. Uh, Michael J. Fox's character playing the, uh, st- you know, uh, Stone, um, Jason Stone, that was actually supposed to be played by Johnny Depp, but he got tied up in another project and wasn't available. Uh, so they got Michael J. Fox, which, you know, he does a great job. He's like very much the slimy, slick, like, uh, I'm an actual journalist. Why is my girlfriend on like this basically MTV talk show? Why is she getting these like high end interviews? I'm like, you know what? Here in 2021, that seems somehow more likely. Yeah. That true. A, a big yeah. names will go there then they would go on uh, like reputable talk shows because it's all about where they get the most uh, impact and social media presence. And that's on the more popular shows. Yeah. But he, uh, um, yeah, that's a good point. He plays it really well. He's jealous of his girlfriend, Natalie Lake and her and Bosnian's character, the professor have a clear chemistry from the get go. I mean, I'm glad they didn't quite have 60 characters because that would have been a lot. And I don't know how much more movie they'd have to tell those characters' story. But still, yep. there's so much going on. But I think the nature, it's very to the point who this person is and what this person's about. So they can quickly just move on to the next character. They do that very well. So you've got a lot of one-dimensional characters, but for this movie, it works really well. But I've got to say... Danny DeVito in this, right? his character doesn't even have a name. He's just credited as Rude Gambler. I think yeah. DeVito was, must have one of the best agents because DeVito <laughs> got such a good deal. So although, like, I mean, he's hardly in this film, right? His screen time approximates to around 1.5 minutes, a minute and a half, less than yeah. two minutes in total but still is on all the posters. He gets top billing. His name is on the posters. Must have a good agent. Or maybe, I I mean, I don't know, maybe Burton really likes him. I mean, they work together on Batman Returns. Who knows? But he's hardly in it. And I I forgot how little he was actually in it. Yeah, because, I mean, I do know, and I've known this for a long time, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's the executive producer. He basically pays for the entire series. And his whole thing has always been, as long as we're enjoying this, I'll keep pay, paying to make sure that we can make this this TV show. I'm like, with the sort of deals he must be getting in the 90s, <laughs> yeah. I wonder who's got the money to pay for I like mean, TV shows now. He's doing okay, isn't he? But seriously, yeah. less than two minutes of screen yeah. time in Mars Attacks. He's on the poster. He gets top billing. <laughs> yeah, and it's... And it's, it's very funny because as I was writing down character names, I started to notice, you know, uh, you know Art Land, Jason Stone, you know, uh, Natalie Lake. I'm like, wow, a lot of these character names are literally just <laughs> nouns. <laughs> you just blow my mind, though, but they're places on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, things yeah. you'd find on Earth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was actually a, a, another funny thing. 
the uh, Sylvia Sydney, who plays Grandma Florence Norris, she actually makes an error which never got picked up in editing. Uh, Jack Black, who plays Bill Glenn Norris, who's you know <laughs> yeah, going yeah. off to like to to be on patrol for when the Martians land. She calls him Thomas, which I always thought, oh, she's like going a little senile. She's forgotten what her grandson's name is and she doesn't like him anyway. She likes her good grandson, Richie, played by Lucas Haas. Turns out Thomas is actually Jack Black's real first name. Right. She called him by his actual name and no <laughs> one had picked up on it because on the, on the bill, it's like Jack Black and like, who's this Thomas person? Ah, it fits. Leave it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it always stuck out to me, but I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. I just thought that she was getting his name wrong. Cause I just say, he's not the favorite grandson. Yeah. That's, okay, an, yeah. that's, that's a cool goof. Yeah. Um, the other thing it's my entire life. I've wondered since I saw this movie, like, where they get the idea for the, the Martian language, the ah, 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 which I've used <laughs> oh, for years and years and years. It's so ingrained in my brain. Uh, dark squacking, played in reverse. Is that what it is? That's what that is. Uh, it's not something from the trading cards or anything like that. It's just something right. they came up with. And the, uh, the studio pushed to have them with subtitles the whole time and tim burton's yeah. like no 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 Just i need it unintelligible yeah like don't it's it it works more because people will fill it with their own ideas of what they're saying 100 percent. tell yeah. them it'll be less funny yeah like, wow yeah i heard about the closed captions and burton pushed back in it but i didn't know that's where the ak ak sound came from but doing the voice though fred welker it's scooby-doo <laughs> that's He's, awesome and apparently, uh, when I do research, I think he also uh, did some voices for Independence Day as well. He's a busy guy. Yeah. A busy guy. Very busy guy. Yeah, so Scooby-Doo was yeah. the aliens in Mars Attacks. Yeah. Yeah, because I do like that they came up with the, you know, they had like the the translator, which is also very 60s technology. They yeah. record something onto tape, it, uh, run it, rewind it, and play it back, back through the translator. So there's a delay in what well, something has to be said and recorded, rewound, and then played back through a translator, uh, which is very old school tech, which allows to build for tension of like waiting for responses and stuff. Yep. But later on in the movie, it's got played by for such great ghosts as the Martians are running after people with things to kill them. And they've got the translator as they like ah, 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 <laughs> running down the street going, don't run. We are your friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so good. And, and, you know, they're so animated. You talk about earlier on where the actions are the horny and everything else. Even, like, it was the right choice by Burton, just having them saying, ack, ack, but they're so animated in their actions anyway that you're right, you can, as the audience, just fill in the gaps. It yeah. wouldn't have been as good if it was just literally telling us on screen what they were actually saying. Yeah, um, and there's so many... So many great moments in this, which some of them I've forgotten. The one was when they finally fire a nuke and uh, they send out the little probe. I'm like, as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, that's right. And the nuke goes <laughs> yeah. off. It gets sucked off into like little like drones, like vacuum bag goes up and they start smoking it. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like trolling them by yeah, yeah. a video call, like ah, 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 getting high. I'm like, oh, it's so great. It's so 
everything in this movie is it's so clever and it's so i think why this movie works so well is it's clearly something that's a genuine interest and a, a love of burton's and it all comes out in the screenplay and on the on what we see and what we get back from the movie itself it's so it's so well done we should probably talk about the martian girl played by lisa marie <laughs> yeah uh this was i knew at the time it was tim burton's girlfriend um but it was such a really great design the the like spooky way in which she just like shifts it's like she almost and, like, like pop. yeah it's almost like she's like she's floats. hovering or skating yeah it's yeah yeah, because it's only her upper body imitating the motion of walking where she glides perfectly stable, um, which is like ethereal and that kind of stuff. The music playing by Danny Elfman at the time is great. Uh, and then uh, Martin Short's characters. Um, while his back's... He, yeah, he's yeah. created some space. And then you suddenly see her do the... And the like creepy close to the distance using the, the yeah, Martian like hobble so to get up there. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that she never says a thing, just chewing gum the whole time. It's which is it's, like, it's um, oxygen, isn't it? That's yeah, 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 so, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah, all of it. And like Martin Short, his yeah, press secretary Jerry Ross, he does uh, please so well. <laughs> he does. He's so great, and he takes her into the. We call this one the Kennedy Room. Yeah. It's just a hookup room <laughs> in yeah, the yeah. White House, yeah. and it's like a fully lit bar. And when he jumps on that bed, it doesn't give. It might as well be made out of wood. Like I see him hit, I'm like, oh, he launched himself onto that. I bet he hurt his hip. That <laughs> looked like such a hard bed. Well, yeah, he's it's all so good. And they established long before he picks her up earlier on in the movie that he's like, I mean it. It's like it's it's an inside joke that's uh politicians are always like picking up hookers and they're like they're they're degenerates and that kind of stuff, but it all rounds out these characters and the cast so well when you get to see it play out in this way. Well that's silly yeah, well like I was saying, like all the characters have one main trait and that de- which defines them. And he's the sleazy guy that picks up prostitutes that that's who he is but it also shows that the martians clearly did their homework because they knew how to get in by using him he gets yeah. his finger bit off it flies in the fish tank rips her mouth but the, yeah. the design though what, what i found when i was looking into it she was modeled after a mashup of marilyn monroe and the bride of frankenstein from 1935 yeah that's what they're going for there. But the the image of the Martian girl came from the rebooted Mars Attacks card game, or not card game, but card set from 94, not actually the original series, which came out in, I thought it was 50s, but it must be, I think 60s is when the original 60s. series yeah. first came out. But I'm glad that they included it because visually it's, I mean, we've talked about how much we like the design of the Martians themselves, but the Martian girl looks great and she's so memorable. Yeah. Uh, and it, again, with the one on all the posters. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, posters, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever it is, she's always on there. With Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker, with a Chihuahua body. She's also yeah. always on there. Yeah. And it's, 
that as well, like the the joke of her, like you know when she's when they when they pick up uh, Professor Kessler, Pierce Brosnan, and yeah, he's just a floating head, and the rest of his parts are disassembled, and there she is in a Chihuahua body, and her the dog's body language fits her mood. When she's worried, it's shaking like a chihuahua. When she's excited and she's flirting, it's like yeah. her tail is wagging. It's it's those little touches that sell it all. Uh, it's and it's all so so ridiculous. It's like really kind of dark comedy, but it uh, it, this absurd nature sells all of it. And you know, and Tom Jones is just Tom Jones. Like, yeah. why does he need to be anyone else? Singing, it's not unusual. Yeah, it's his big hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I gotta imagine it was because uh, he does do Vegas. Um, and I would I, I can't remember, but I think at the time he actually did have a steady gig in, at a Vegas. Yeah, no, hotel. I think he did, and that and and Burton approached him. Yeah, after one of his gigs there. So yeah, he was he was playing, and Burton's also used um, the same song. It's not unusual in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. So it's yeah, two of his movies. Yeah. Natalie Portman, it's funny because she was credited big on this movie. This was long before Star Wars. Uh, I think episode one from memory is uh, 1999. Yeah, 99. And this was, again, 96. Yeah, 96, 97. So the biggest movie she would have had at the time would have been Leon the Professional. But she gets a title credit here. Oh, that's a good point, actually. But on then they, this ensemble cast. Yeah, but then they all do, though. Like, I think that's part of it. I mean, they really, they they tell you pretty much everybody that's in this movie of note. Yeah, and I think part of the joke is going through everybody, as well yeah. as just like the big A-listers. But you're right, though. But a name is up there. It is before yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, which, you know, it's proven to be quite timely because she's become quite such a successful actress. Associated but, yeah. with sci-fi, Star Wars, Thor. Yeah. Yes, it's just mental. And Jim Brown, I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with who Jim Brown is. He's a very famous American footballer. A very, uh, he was a, multi, a Heisman Trophy winner. He was a running back and he was like well-known. Uh, and it wasn't until I think it was the early nineties that he started breaking to acting like quite a substantial time after his career had ended. Cause he was a, he was a player in the, through the seventies. And I think he retired uh, early eighties, um, but he's been in a lot of things. He's actually uh, any given Sunday. He had a notable role in and quite and other non-sports movies as well. But yeah, Jim Brown coming in with the like, quite a meaty role. Like a lot yes, meatier than yeah. a lot of the other guys. I wasn't familiar with uh, his career before this movie, but he'd always been a favourite from this film. I mean, you're right. Like if you're looking at you know the other actors that he's he's working alongside, he's not quite there. But him or his character Byron Williams had always been a favourite of mine. I think it's just about that. There's a lot of insanity in this movie, which is great. But he's the straight guy. He's the one that's going to stop at nothing to get home and be with his family and protect them. So yeah. I'd always liked that character. And he's solid in this. He's, he gives such a good performance. And he just plays the nice guy, which when he needs to, it can cut loose. 
and yeah. take down Martians. But he's trying to get home to his two sons and his wife, Louise, played by Pam Greer. Yeah, who, you know, still looking stunning. Um, a big, big star from 70s black exploitation movies. Um, and yeah, and she's like, another one, like, you know, she's single mom, uh, bus driver. So she's got a, 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 a busy schedule, day job, whilst taking care of her two sons who were like obsessed with video arcades, which. Which comes in handy. Yeah, it does because they uh, end up protecting the president, uh, picking up the ray guns because they're got they're so well uh, trained from their light gun games in the arcade. Which even the aesthetic of that, like, I know I don't think that's a real game. I'm pretty sure that was designed specifically yeah. for this movie, but it feels like a game I would have played. With uh, with her character you mentioned, or with her as an actress, that like she. Obviously, in the 70s, you know, she, she was big in black exploitation and all of that. But then a couple of years before Mars Attacks, that's when Tarantino made Jackie Brown, wasn't it? Yeah. So she was back in the limelight for that movie, and then we see her again here. Did you hear about the audition process for this movie? No. So Burton wanted her, and he, and he called her and asked her to fly to L.A. for an audition. She said she wanted to, but she couldn't because her dog was terminally ill. He called back several times and eventually decided that she had already auditioned by not leaving her dog, since her character in the movie refused to leave her son. <laughs> Brilliant. So that yeah, was that it. So he's like, sense. you passed the audition. What are you talking about? You in real life, in your love for your dog, you've got the part. Because that's yeah. the character we want you to play in the movie. I yeah. like that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and Christina Applegate playing the uh, the young sex bomb, you know the the girl the grieving girlfriend of Jack Black's Billy Glenn, who once he dies, you know they they live in a trailer park. She rolls straight onto the next guy. She's and, okay. Uh, She's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it. That scene always stuck in my head, um, specifically for the aliens panting in their masks and the little oh, windscreen wiper coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, oh, it's because movie. you get to see a girl having sex. I'm yeah. like, no, you don't. You see nothing. It's the windscreen wiper of the broth, the fog on the breath. That's what always stuck with me because yeah, yeah, as a kid on long trips, like uh, on weekends, breathing, like especially when it was raining, breathing into a window and like not being able to see and having to use my hand on the window to be able to see some more. That's, I'm like, they did that. They did that in a movie. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. But, you know, the movie, just that gag in itself, like the movie knows exactly what it is, what it wants to be. And when else are you going to see a Martian or an alien with a space helmet and there's a windscreen wiper? You're just not going to get it. Like, it's no, very yeah. specific to to this movie and, and the, the jokes that they're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing... Yeah, you know, we get the great finale of you know the aliens are smashing Earth. We can't stand against them. Um, the Norrises, uh, the mother and father, are like have written off Grandma, and they're like loading up guns to protect their trailer park home. And Richie runs and gets in the truck to save Grandma at the home. And the Martians are creeping up with her with a 
an enormous gun or a little contraption of some kind. And we never get to see it get used. And I've always, because they put it like basically <laughs> yeah. right up against yeah, the do. skull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always wondered to this day, what does it do? What does it do? But instead, they distract her. She pulls the audio, the auxiliary cord out of her stereo, and her the music plays, and it bursts all the heads. Which, apparently, that idea for that very song um, was used in a very similar sketch by uh, renowned radio personality. God, I can't remember his name. Uh, God. Come on, brain. I'd love to help you out, but I don't know who you're trying to think of. From whatever. He's still uh, Stern, Roger Stern. Howard Stern. Howard Stern did a. a, a, a <laughs> yeah, thank you. Howard Stern. Did uh, was it Slim Whitney? I think is the name or Whit- Whitman. Slim, Slim Whitman. Whitman. Yep, is the name of the artist versus uh, the Alien Invaders, like nineteen eighty eight. It was like a little short thing he'd put together, and he like and he like tried to sue Tim Burton over it. And Tim Burton's like, I've never seen what it, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just a coincidence. I've just heard. That uh, that song play, I'm like, oh, that's a strange harmonic resonance. I'm like, I could do something with that, and it's just something he left on the shelf of like, I'll do something with that song one day. And this was the movie, but two alien invasion movie, like ideas using the exact same song, yeah, to take care of the aliens in a very similar way. But yeah, and then they just put it over the radio waves to uh, save the day. Very, very nice and concise. There's two of Whitman's songs used in the movie, Indian Love Call and Casting My Lazo. I think it's Indian Love Call. That's the yep. main track that they're using at the end. And then, yeah, they use country music to defeat the aliens. A year before, we gave the aliens a cold. And a year, yeah. later, a year later, we exposed them to country western music. And that was enough yeah. to... <laughs> take them down and it was a good way and a quick way of ending the movie yeah it's something that everybody you know for the most part would have access to and the song can be shared around the world and they defeat the martians yeah i um i do like (laughs) there's something that everyone wearing a tie in this movie immediately points to me as a 90s movie because the ties are so wide on all the suits that I found it just a little bit distracting. It's probably the only thing that really truly dates the movie is men's ties on their suits. But interestingly Uh, though, like a lot of visuals were getting 50s, 60s, but the film is actually set in the 90s. Yeah, it is. So that's okay then, but you're right, the visual, the ties do look... If you're looking at the, like, in the movie, when you do see the U.S. military, they're wearing uniforms that would have been worn in the 50s. Yeah, absolutely. So visually, they're trying to go for that. The look of the flying saucers is very much what you'd have got in those old serials from the 50s and 60s. But it's still, or when it first came out, it was a contemporary movie. It was supposed to be in the 90s. But visually, there's a lot of different cues 
going on there. That's a good good observation about the ties. Yeah. I, um, I remember in, in the nineties, you're looking back on different decades and like, you know, the the seventies, the eighties, and you could always recognise what they'd look like. And I remember thinking in the nineties, nineties doesn't really have a look. Like you're not gonna be able to look back in the nineties and recognise it. You know, when you you know, you're talking about shows like Seinfeld or Friends. You yeah. can definitely recognise the nineties. Baggy shirts, yeah. waist jackets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The nineties had a style. Yeah, specific kind of sneakers that they wore as well. Yeah. Um, like the, yeah, there's just it's subtle. It's not as loud and as obvious as you do on other decades. Um, no, it's not. But I remember but, just being in the nineties, just thinking the nineties just look like now. It's not gonna look like anything when you look back yeah. at it. But whereas now it's yeah, you know, it's sort of like yeah, definitely the puffy shirts and everything yeah. else, like you said. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a little there. Because for the most part, most people just wore a T-shirt and jeans and sneakers. Uh, and that's it. And that look is what everyone's always worn and it's what we wear now. So that part has aged the best. It is when you get to something real specific, like a specific kind of T-shirt or like these business suits specifically. Um, but yeah, it's... It's like the one thing I could ever point out to in this movie. The other thing, I I watched this just a few days before January 20th to give it an idea of uh, when I when we were recording. Uh, and the scene when they first land and they have everyone set up in the mile, the, uh, the, the bleachers and they have all the tanks around and they launch the dove and then they pull out and start shooting. They shoot the dove and they start shooting everything else. I wrote it down in my notes. The thing I thought, I'm like, there's a Joe Biden inauguration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Very yeah. timely. Luckily, yeah. Here we are, you know, a few days later. Um, well, yeah, a uh, half a week later. And no, it went off smooth. It went it fine, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was my thought. Yeah. I'm like having what we had you know, the few, a few weeks back with the, uh, the Capitol building. I'm like, oh dear God, this movie is gonna, this is gonna spell like what I'm expecting in the next few days. Yeah. No Martians. We're okay. Yeah. So Jay, if you're gonna rate this movie out of five, Ooh, it's hard. Um, I'm not sure how much of it is nostalgia and how much of it is genuine. Uh. A, appreciation for the quality of the the subject matter and execution and acting prowess and everything else but i'm definitely giving this one a four out of five um i i've i've always wondered i can i can never seem to split in, in terms of tim burton's movies what is my personal favorite of his it's it's either nightmare before christmas the original Batman or Mars Attacks and having done the rewatch, I still can't split them. I'm like, this is such a great movie. It's so, I, if you were to make it today, this feels like something you'd get Taika Waititi or a director of that kind of eccentricity to put together. But I'm still like, you'd be hard pressed to outdo Tim Burton on this one, especially with this specific subject matter. Um, yeah. Four out of five great great movie i mean what you were just saying there i mean it's, it, it is on one hand it, it's surprising that we only ever got 
this one movie. And not just like, you know, a sequel to this movie that no TV series, no reboot, no talk of any more Mars Attacks. I mean, I mentioned that Dynamite currently have the license. So we're getting comics, not ongoing comics, but they'll put out specials and crossovers. But I just, I thought that this, I thought Mars Attacks would be more than it is. I mean, I, I absolutely love this movie and it will be great to see more. But I can't see anybody doing something as good as Tim Burton did with this movie. I mean, you mentioned Taika. He'd be able to put something really good together. Would it be better than this or just as good as this? I don't know. But as a franchise, I'm surprised after all these years, it's just this movie and some comics. Yes, they're saying That's it. Because it's so visually stunning. It has such a specific quirky humor that I think would translate easily into into more than this um especially given the time frame you know we're talking 23 24 years now like that's a long time for something that is an intellectual property i mean it is something that is licensed for comic books and merchandise and other things one movie that is it that's it a great title great logo the design of the martians fantastic it's got so much going for it. And you know what? This movie, I don't care. I'm going to give it five out of five. I absolutely love this movie. And I love it every time I watch it. From that first time on the big screen to just the other day. It's a movie that I always enjoy. There's never dull moments. It's so fast-paced, whether it's the, the A-list actors, the gags, the visuals, all of it. Like, there's always something going on this for me is an excellent movie and just like yourself i can't decide which is my favorite tim burton movie he's made so many good ones i mean you didn't even mention beetlejuice that's a stone cold (laughs) classic for me but this movie mars attacks i'm so glad that we got together and and reviewed this movie It's, it's it's so much fun and everybody should watch it so it's it's a good time it's a very good time yeah Absolutely. Well, that's it for our episode all about Mars Attacks. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>